Good morning, Grace. Happy New Year. All right. I'm not going to ask you to share what it is. Did anybody make a New Year's resolution? Oh, what's well, so one person did for sure. You made anybody already break their New Year's resolution? Yeah, that would be me. Anybody have one word this year? We've been doing the one word thing for about six or seven years. Are you still doing that? Pick a word and live into the word for the year. Yeah, some of you are still doing that. I would encourage you to. It's a good time of year to just uh, think about what's ahead and, and make some decisions. Uh, a couple other announcements real quick. I want to remind you about the toy drive. When you came in, you probably saw the tables full of toys out there. We have set a goal in partnership with uh, the Pinars to uh, collect 4,021, right? 4,021 toys, uh, and all of those toys are going to go to the kids at Children's Hospital as a way of encouraging them when they go through a difficult procedure. Uh, a few of the rules of engagement are no stuffed animals, no weapons, and they need to be new toys. You can buy toys and bring them in. You can go on the Amazon wish list and buy straight from that. Or if you just want to make a financial donation and allow us to uh, just buy the toys, we can do that as well. And Grace as a church is agreed to match the first $5,000 uh, that come in. But uh, let's, yeah, it's fun. Let's overwhelm uh, Children's Hospital with more toys than they know what to do with. Can we do that? Yeah, this is an awesome thing that we do every year, so we'd love for you to be a part of it. Discover Grace is coming up January 21st. This is for those who are trying to figure out who we are as a church, how is our leadership structured, uh, how do we make financial decisions, what's the budget process. Uh, really, it's just a, a, a detailed look at who we are as a church. Uh, this is a requirement if you want to be a member, but a lot of people come through it just because uh, they feel like they want to know more. Uh, it starts at 3 o'clock, and we do serve a meal, so we just need you to register for that if you're interested, but it's just great. I actually just start the class by asking you what you want to know, and we write all those questions down, and then I just answer those questions, and then we found that it's better to tell you what you want to know as opposed to what I think you want to know, uh, but it makes for a pretty fun, interactive uh, opportunity for us to be together, okay? This morning, we are doing beginning a series within a series. As you may know, we are working our way through the book of Genesis, but today we start a mini-series on Abraham. So for the next six weeks, we are going to concentrate our focus and our energy on the person of Abraham. And my objective this morning, uh, if I do my job well, is to get you excited enough about the story that you spend some time beyond Sunday morning reading about Abraham, preferably more than once, you would take the time to sit down and read chapters 12 through 25 of Genesis. And every time you sit down to read it, if you would just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what he wants to reveal to you through the reading of that story. And I think what you're going to find is it's not always the same thing. You'll read through it. God will show you something. You read through it a few days later. God will show you something different. So I'd love for you uh, to take some time. I'd love for you to participate in the Tuesdays at Grace, going deeper in Genesis. That will help you to get it. But I can guarantee you if you're reading about Genesis at home and then you're coming in and we are teaching through this Genesis through the Abraham story, it's going to be way more impactful. If you haven't bought a journal yet, uh, we have those for $5 at the information counter. Uh, it's just the book of Genesis with blank pages. Every other page is blank. Gives you a place to write notes. Uh, $5 is cheaper than you can buy it anywhere online. We're just supplementing the cost of those to make them affordable to you. But you can just stop at an information counter and get those. A um, couple other quick things. If you have your journal this morning, open to page 50. 
and write two things. Write chapters 12 through 25, so you know what you need to be reading, and write down this email address. So this goes directly to me, um, but what I would love for you to do as you're reading through, if a question emerges or a thought is kind of just hanging there, I would love to hear about it. And what I'll try to do as I teach through the next five weeks is weave those questions, or at least the answers to those questions, if there is an answer, uh, into the sermon. But I'd love to just get some dialogue going with all of you about what God is showing you uh, in this incredible story of Abraham. All right, grab your Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one under your seat, and you're welcome to keep that Bible if you don't own one. Uh, But grab your Bibles or your journals. If you've already got your journals open, you're on page 50. Uh, Turn to Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to read the entire chapter in just a moment, but let me just kind of reset where we've been so far. So chapters 1 through 11 of Genesis is the story of the origins of the cosmos, the world, everything in the world, and the story of the, the, the humankind, right? It's the story of all humanity. So we have this beautiful picture of the creation. We have Adam and Eve. And by the time we get to chapter five, we have multiple generations and probably billions of people, certainly millions of people, but probably billions of people on the earth. And, and we get to this point where in Genesis five or Genesis six, we see these words, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of thought of his heart was only evil continually. At this point in humanity, the Bible is telling us that there's only one family out of the billions of people who are still walking with God, who are still worshiping the one true God, Yahweh. And so this cancer of sin has spread throughout the world in such a a, a prolific way, and it's so pervasive that, that, that God has to do radical surgery. So what we learned when we got to that part of it is that the, the flood story is a rescue mission to save humanity. So we have the, the flood, and we have Noah, and then we have humanity, and if you will, have a new beginning. They begin again. It's important to note that at the time of the flood, that is as bad as it's ever been and as bad as it ever will be. The rest of the biblical narrative, there is always a remnant of believers. So even in our story of Abraham, as we work through this, you're gonna see that Abraham has this encounter with Melchizedek, remember that story? He's the priest of the God most high. So there are other believers, there's a remnant of believers. I don't know if you know this, but Job and Abraham are contemporary, same time frame. So there's other people who are walking with Yahweh. We never again will have just one family or one man who is following Jesus. So while there's always a remnant, when we get to Genesis 11, we see the proliferation of sin again, and we see the Tower of Babel. We see when God scatters the nation, confuses the tongues, and we have all of the different nations and tongues. And and so we have this human story, right? And it's fascinating is all that is, we get to chapter 12 and everything changes. One through 11 is all of humanity's family tree. When we get to chapter 12, from this point forward, we are talking about one branch of the family tree. And that's the branch of Abraham. We are now, the the rest of the, the, the story of Genesis is dealing with the Jewish people, Abraham's descendant, from which 
the Jewish Messiah will come and all nations will be blessed. So that's where we are in our story, and that's what I'm going to begin to read for you in Genesis 12. So if you'll stand with me, I'm going to read Genesis 12. I will tell you, uh, my wife pointed this out to me after the first service, uh, I kind of stumble between Abram and Abraham, same person, uh, but if you, when I'm preaching, if I say Abraham or if I say Abram, don't get confused, like, which one is it? Same guy, I just, anyway. Verse 1, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. And Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all of their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land of the place called Shechem, the Oak of Morah. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved from the hill country to the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on still, going towards Negeb. Now... There was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt and sojourned there, for the famine was severe in the land. That you could also, that word famine just means hunger. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah's wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and then they will kill me because, because... Because of you, and that my life will be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he, Pharaoh, dwelt, dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants and female servants and female donkeys and camels. Now I want you to notice in these last four verses the foreshadowing of the exodus of Israel from Egypt. Verse 17 says, The Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues. Sound familiar? Because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So Pharaoh called Abraham and said, Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the story. Thank you for the way you've used the story to uh, open my heart and my mind to uh, who you are and the work that you're doing in all of our lives. I pray this morning that uh, we, uh, your followers, would hear a word from you. I pray whether somebody's online or here in this room that uh, the living God would speak a word through the music, through this message, through a conversation in the lobby, whatever you use, would you speak a word and, and may we leave different than we came because we have encountered the living God. 
the same God that encountered Abraham, we have the opportunity to encounter. Help us to recognize that privilege. Help our hearts to be open to your word. Help our hearts to be tender enough to receive the word. Those seeds would get deep roots, bear fruit a thousandfold. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. One of the aspects of the biblical narrative that I love and helps me to believe that the stories are true, but also serves as, a, as an encouragement to me, is the fact that most of the heroes of the faith, most of our patriarchs, are portrayed as broken people, walking out their faith and having moments of victory, but having moments of sometimes catastrophic failure. The Bible unapologetically tells us that the patriarchs with all of their issues, our heroes are just messed up people, right? And that gives me a little bit of hope, right? These heroes are shown with all of their imperfections, right? Their issues, their shortcoming. Abraham, Abram is both obedient and he's disobedient. He's both trusting at times and distrusting at times, right? And, and, and he has this moment, he's called to leave, and when he leaves his homeland, he's leaving the security of his, of his father's business, if you will. He's leaving everything he knows. He is a pagan worshiper, so he's leaving his religious upbringing, and, and all of that takes a lot of trust. But as we see, we'll see this morning that, that while he's obedient in some ways, he's disobedient in other ways. Here in the second part of chapter 12, what we just read, Abram is incredibly manipulative and deceptive, right? He deceives Pharaoh, and, and we see as the story unfolds, as we read the rest of Genesis, that this deceptive nature, this tendency towards deception, this lie that's a part of who Abram, he actually passes that character trait onto his son, and his son passes that character trait onto his grandson, and so the point of this being that, that if, if you don't deal with your stuff, you're going to hand it down to your kids, right? And so that's one of the lessons we see. But here's Abraham, this father of our faith, and he's, and he's incredibly deceptive. Now, here's the deal. You don't have to tell a lie to be deceptive, right? You don't have to say something that's not true to be deceptive. As a matter of fact, if you just hide what is actually true, you are being deceptive. Now, if you've ever been a child or had a child, then you've seen this play out, right? But, but what I want you to see, and really the point of today's message is we're gonna see the humanness of Abram. We're gonna see that Abram is, is both faithful and unfaithful at the same time. But what we're gonna see is that Abraham's faith is being forged along the way, that he is growing in his understanding. The person that we see at the end of the story in week six, who's willing to take his son Isaac to the altar and sacrifice his own son is not the same person who's being called to leave Ur and leave his family. So we're going to unpack that and we're going to see it together. But when he gets to where he's going to Egypt, he's fleeing a famine. So he's worried about his own safety and he lies to Pharaoh. It's interesting if you read commentaries that they often downplay that. They say, well, he didn't really lie to Pharaoh because Sarah is actually his half-sister. Now, that's pretty weird to us, maybe a little unsettling. But they have the same father but different mothers 
So it's really his half-sister, so he didn't lie. But, the, but we know from the story that he was being deceptive, and he was being deceptive because he was trying to save his own skin. He didn't trust God enough to spare him or spare his family. So he concocted a story, right? And any time we're out there, we're trying to be deceptive, it doesn't have to be a lie. So I, I started thinking about, like, how did this play out in my own life? So when I was 16, my dad bought a brand-new truck, uh, it was a beautiful Dodge red pickup truck, and he let me drive it. And instead of backing out of the driveway, I thought I'd be really clever and pull out and go between our non-detached, our detached garage and our house and just pull through. And some of you know where this is already going, but I didn't quite get through all the way. And so I ended up scraping the driver's side of my dad's brand new truck from the front corner panel across the door and all the way across the bed of the truck. So I dented the truck all the way along it. Plus I put this huge white swatch off of the house on the truck, well, I immediately was like, this is not good. So I drove around real quick, parked the car, and got out of Dodge, right? Like, literally, I got out of the Dodge. But I got out of, the, I got out of there, and I just assumed somebody else is going to get the blame for this. I'm going to just pretend like it never happened. I was being deceptive. Now, just so you know, the truth eventually came out. And I got in more trouble for hiding it than I did for the accident itself. But, but Genesis is making it clear that Abram's decision... To not disclose who Sarah's wife is, is deception. Let me say it again. The story of Abraham, the story of Abram is a story of forged, not forgery, the story of forged faith. As we journey through this, we're going to see how his faith becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. And his story is our story. Now, maybe you can relate to Abraham. I know that I can. Abraham has belief but he also has some unbelief. He acts in obedience, and other times he's disobedient. He seems to trust God in, in some places of his life, but in other places he takes matters into his own hands. And my prayer through this sermon is that that would be an encouragement to you, an encouragement to stay on the journey with God. If you have doubts, you're in good company. The father of our faith had doubts. If you make some mistakes along the way, you're in pretty good company. The father of our faith made some catastrophic mistakes. If you take matters into your own hands, you're in good company. So we see the deception of the king and the pharaoh in chapter 12, but the, the portrait of both belief and unbelief, go all the way back to the original calling. Now, this is different than I was taught as a kid. I was always taught Abraham believed. It was credited to his righteousness. God called Abraham. Abraham said yes. He left his family. He left his father, and he went to a place where he didn't know. Is that how you were taught? That's, that's the story I was told, but that's not really how the story goes. What we know to be true is Abraham received the call to leave Ur and to go to Canaan. But he didn't make it, and he didn't leave his father. He brought his father with him, and when they got to the city of Haran, which was a pagan city that worshipped the moon god named Sin, they stopped. They didn't keep going to Canaan. And you're saying to yourself, how do you know that? Well, let's look at two passages of Scripture. Genesis 11:31. So it's just one chapter back, the end of the chapter that we just read, or the chapter before the one we just read. 11:31 says, Terah, that's Abraham's father, took Abraham, his son Lot, 
of, of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. He was called to leave. He was called to leave his father, but he brought his father with him, and he didn't quite make it to Canaan. He didn't even make it out of the, the pagan influence, and he landed in another pagan City. Now, we have other data that helps us to know that this is the truth, but the, the one verse that helps us to know how it all went down happens in Acts. So I'm going to read that for you. Acts 7, verses 2 through 4. It said, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham, the very story we're talking about, when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. So while he was still in Ur, the Lord appeared to Abraham. He said to him, Go out from the land, from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there to this land in which you are now living. Now, this is written by Acts. They're in Canaan. And he's saying, so, so we have this picture of Abraham both being obedient, yet not quite fulfilling what God has called him to do. Actually, if you read the story, he doesn't really even go to Canaan. He goes to Canaan, and then he goes to the Negev, then he goes on up to Egypt. Like, he's, he's not really settled in the very thing that God has called him to do. He's both obedient and disobedient. He's faithful, yet there's an element of unfaithful. And again, I'm telling you all this so that you can see how the story of Abraham, how his faith is forged through a process, and that the person we see at the end of the story is not the same person that we see at the beginning of the story. The willingness to trust God and sacrifice Isaac takes all of these events and all of this forging of his faith to get him to that point. We see this forging of faith in all of the patriarchs when we really read the story. Right? If you, if you think about it, Adam stood idly by and, and watched Eve take the fruit. He ate the fruit with her. Noah gets drunk, Abraham's a liar, right? He passes that, that trait of deception onto Isaac who passes it on to Jacob. King David, a murderer, an adulterer. Peter's rebuked by Paul as being a hypocrite. Paul says, I, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I'm supposed to do. And the whole idea here is, is not so that we uh, accept sin as being a good thing. Sin always has, but the idea is we are all fallen people and we all make mistakes and we all, don't, we all have moments where we're not getting it right. But God is faithful in the process and in our lives. Yes. So God, and, and here's what I want you to see in this story as we go through it. God calls Abraham. The scriptures tell us that when God called Abraham, he was a pagan worshiper. He hadn't done anything, right? He hadn't performed some ritual. He hadn't made some, some decision along the way that, that, that made him deserve to be called. God chose this pagan worshiper, Abraham, and after he chose him, God began to do a work of transformation in his life. And this should give everyone in this room a sense of, of comfort, that God has chose you and that God has begun a good work in you and he is going to see that work through completion. That's what Philippians tells us. Paul writes in Philippians, I'm sure of this. I'm absolutely positive that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of the day. There is this picture of ongoing 
development of our faith being forged over a lifetime. Imagine how different the story would be if God bailed out on Abraham. Abraham fails. He takes a maidservant. He doesn't go all the way to Canaan. He lies to Pharaoh. Whatever the part of the story. But what if in that moment, God said, I'm done with you. I'm going to go find somebody else. Forget it. You're not the one. That would be a horrifying story because that's all of us. Right? We've, we've all failed. We've all fallen short. We've all sinned. But God is faithful even when we are faithless. He who began a good work and you will see it through. I started thinking about how much the story relates to. So I'm going to tell you a little bit of my story. For some of you who've been at Grace a long time, you know this. Uh, when I was 17 years old, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was calling me uh, to be a pastor. By the time I was 19, I had made a determination that there was no way I was going to be a pastor. I just basically said, no, I'm not going to do it for a myriad of reasons. I was not going to be a pastor. For 15 years, I ran from God and I ran from that calling. And in the process, because I was running, because I wasn't walking with God, I made a mess of my marriage. I was a terrible father. It was disastrous, right? Because sin always has a cost, right? So I'm faithless, but God was faithful. In that, series, in that season of time, God brought me to Detroit. And God started to like strip away my, my, my blinders and show me racial injustice and, and show me the, the, the inconsistencies that exist in the city and how there's things that I had that other people didn't get that helped me to be successful, that they weren't. Like God did all of this work to prepare me to be on the stage someday. Even when I was running from him, God was faithful in doing his thing, right? 15 years, I'm running from God, but God is faithful. Amen. During that 15 years, I tell people this all the time, multiple times a week, I would get up in the morning and I would hear the Spirit say to me, you know this isn't what you're supposed to do. And I would say, I don't care, I'm not gonna do it. I didn't lose my faith. I never stopped believing, but I was not going to do what God called me to do. Well, our marriage was hanging by a thread, and in desperation, Meg actually came into this very church, and she found Jesus. Amen. And it made a radical change in who she was, and I watched that for a little while. Several months later, I too came with her to this church and kind of found my way into a time of repentance and renewal I always say like the prodigal son, I, I was just welcomed and, and embraced as a son coming home. And the fascinating thing about the story is, is right after that, we went through a buyout. So the business that we owned got bought out, and it gave us a chance to start again, to face that call from when I was 17. But I made a deal with God. You ever try to make a deal with God? It usually doesn't work out for the record. If you're in the process now of making a deal with God, you might want to rethink it. But my deal with God was, okay, I'll go into full-time ministry, but I'm not going to be a pastor. So I started... Soar Detroit. If you know Soar Detroit, that's the tutoring program and the sports program that we have in your city that we still partner with. We serve thousands of kids over the last 15, 20 years. It's been a, an amazingly beautiful thing because God was faithful even when I was faithless. But the whole idea was I'll, I'll go into ministry, but I'm not going to be a pastor. 
I was sort of obedient, but disobedient at the same time. And then 17 years ago, Brian asked me if I would come on staff. And I remember clearly when he asked me, he said, I'll come on staff, but no one can call me Pastor Doug. <laughs> I, I was just fighting that call. I didn't want to be a pastor. So it was several years ago when I was standing on this stage and I was doing Paul Soros' funeral. And during that funeral, while I was officiating the funeral, I heard God say, it's not a burden. It's a privilege. The call to be a pastor isn't a burden. It's a privilege. And everything shifted. And in that moment was the first time, right, the first time that I was willing to surrender and say, okay, I'll be a pastor. I'm here because God is faithful even when I was faithless. And I'm not sharing a story to say, hey, look at me. I'm like Abraham. I'm not saying that at all. What I want you to see is that's your story too. Like when you were faithless, God is faithful. God began a good work in you. If you know the gospel, if you know the gospel, if you know that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, then you are as called as Abraham and God is forging a faith in you that can carry the weight of the ministry he has for you. Here's the deal. When you encounter Jesus, in that moment, God says, surrender everything to me. Our lives are a journey of learning how to do that. No one just says, okay, here's everything. It just doesn't work that way. We begin to surrender in part, and then God shows us another part that's not surrendered, and we surrender that, and then God takes us through a difficult season, and we surrender that. Look, the famine that came that caused Abraham to run to, to, to Egypt, he didn't do it in a way to test Abraham. He did it to show Abraham his own lack of trust in God, right? We go through those difficult seasons. We sing about difficult seasons, but those are all there to show us those areas of our lives where we have not surrendered to God. I was talking about the sermon with Meg, which I often do just to make sure I'm not getting it wrong. She's a lot smarter than me. Anyway, and she said, did you read Oswald Chambers on January 1st? And I, we both read Oswald Chambers, uh, but I hadn't read January 1st. And she said, you should go back and read it. And this is what he writes on January 1st. He says, my determination is to be my utmost for his highest, my best for his glory. Listen to these words. Fully surrendered in every area of my life, holding nothing back. This is where we should all start. My determination, my desire, my will is to surrender everything to God. Every person in this room that has confessed Jesus should pray this prayer. But let me warn you, this is a dangerous prayer. God, help me to be fully surrendered to you. Help me to hold nothing back. It's interesting. I think the little boy was seven or eight years old after the service, and he came up to me and said, why is this a dangerous prayer? Because he's going to answer it. Because he's going to show you where you're holding back. He's going to show you what you're clinging to. He's going to say, let go of it. 
so you can take hold of me. That's not easy, right? That's not an easy thing to do, but it's a beautiful thing for us to desire. There's a 19th century British revivalist, Henry Valerie, he says these words. He says, the world is yet to see what God can do with and for and through a person fully consecrated to God. These became the words that motivated D.L. Moody and most of his ministry. Fully consecrated, fully surrendered. It takes a willingness, but it also takes a journey of God forging your faith along the way. It's kind of like a mathematical equation. I'm not a mathematician, so don't, don't, don't hold me to this. But this is the way I saw it. To be fully surrendered, it requires determination. You've got to want it. You could be like I was when I was 17 and just say, no. Right? You can just avoid the whole thing. But the minute you say, I want this, I'm determined to do it, then you go through a forging process. The famines come, and they're all there to help show you those areas where you haven't surrendered to God. The famine, right, it's there as a way of forging the faith. The story of forged faith is repeated over and over and over in the scriptures. We see it in Abraham. We're certainly going to see it in Joseph. You see it in David's life, how, how God takes him through some pretty difficult seasons to forge the faith in his life. But it's not an Old Testament thing. The Apostle Paul, you know who the Apostle Paul is, right? He has this incredible face-to-face encounter with Jesus. He says that he met with Jesus and Jesus taught him personally. And then he goes off and he's the greatest church planner in the history of the world. He's doing incredible ministry. And then he gets to 2 Corinthians and he writes what I call the so that experience. He says to the people reading in Corinth, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, the struggle, the testing, the famine, whatever word you want to use there, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired for life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received a sentence of death. We thought we were going to die. Some of you are in a situation right now where you probably can relate to that. Like, I don't know if I can get through this. But look what he says. But that testing, that difficult season, that feeling of utter despair, feeling like I was in it, but that was to make us rely, to not, excuse me, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. The implication of this is profound. Paul, the super apostle, was still not fully dependent on God. He was self dependent and God had to take him through something that would forge his faith so that he would depend on God and God alone. So here's the challenge this morning. If you are bold enough in the days ahead, this morning, in the weeks ahead, in your own words, pray this prayer, God, help me to be fully surrendered to you. Help me to hold nothing back. Show me the areas of my life that I have not surrendered. If you pray this prayer earnestly, he's going to show you. And when he does, celebrate. The evil one will try to heap shame on you. Oh, I'm such a loser. 
I can't believe I'm still here. I can't believe I, look, you're in good company. Abraham's faith had to be forged. Your faith has to be forged. When God shows you those areas and says you haven't let go of this, you're still holding on to it. Celebrate. Why? Because the living God is forging a faith in you that can carry the weight of the calling that's on your life. You are as called as Abraham. You are as called as anyone. You are a part of the biblical narrative. The world has yet to see what God can do in and for and through a church full of people who are fully consecrated to Jesus. May we be that church. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the story of Abraham. I thank you that it's not some Pollyanna, they did what we can never do. Our our heroes are people. And they struggle. But you are faithful when we are faithless. And I pray that we would see that. I pray that we would be a people who are willing to let go and surrender. That this would be our journey. I thank you that you have begun a good work in us and that you will see it through. Help us to be in cooperation with the spirit at work within us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, uh, there's a group of people that meet before the service and pray for you. And uh, this is what they just had a sense, that there's somebody in the room that's just feeling uh, really low when it comes to energy and just would need some prayer. Uh, Someone's having trouble keeping a promise that they made to God. Sounds like a sermon I just preached. Uh, Someone is dealing with a lie uh, that God is mad at me. We would love to pray over you. And someone just has some neck pain. We'd love to pray that for you as well. If you have a physical need, spiritual need, a little bit of both, we have trained people that will meet you down here and pray for you. If you're online, uh, you can put your prayer request in the comments or you can call the church anytime during the week and we'll have a pastor pray for you as well. God bless you. Get into Abraham. Be reading Abraham. Come back next week as we continue the series.